Well, here we are. Episode number what? Oh yeah, I don't know. More than uh, well, actually, less than less than you'd think for the amount of time we've been doing this. <laughs> we took less than ten. Right? One year off, and uh, now we're back. This is like season two, episode two, season two. There we go, season two, episode two. I like that. Okay, and and, and we've had some interaction with our our biggest listener. Oh yeah, we have a uh, a listener request. Yeah. The, and that's that we talk about about the GameStop thing, right? Yeah, well, in you know, very much as we uh, would normally do, we're like maybe two two weeks behind this story at minimum. Like we're we're well well after everyone's lost interest. Yeah, I mean, we still have like an episode in the can about like how the alt right disappeared. Yeah, you're <laughs> from yeah. before the alt right came back. So mm-hmm. yeah, and then the alt right came back. We just and- gotta wait for them to disappear again, and then we can. Uh... Yeah, that's true. That that's true. Although, yeah, yeah. So, well, what was our listener request? Uh, GameStop. We're going to talk about GameStop. Oh yeah, right. Um, geez. So that's going to be tough because, uh, st- like, stocks are not something that I do or think about. Uh, yeah, but I think I have a fresh take on GameStop. And oh, by good. Me- good. By fresh, I mean, not at all fresh. <laughs> So, so, so one of the things that I like about this podcast of ours, Zeke, is like sometimes I feel like on on what I've come to learn is referred to as the Patreon left. Oh, okay. Which that I would don't be really like... take ourselves to be part of because we're not, we don't have a Patreon. We don't have a paywall. We're like yeah. the opposite of that. We don't make enough episodes. Like no. I've thought about us doing a Patreon, but that means we would have to make another episode every week and all that shit. But anyway. Point is, uh, what, what the Patreon left? If you hang around on the Patreon left long enough, you know uh, certain certain things. It just sort of seems like it's assumed to be to be understood and to be known. And one of those is Mark Fisher's two thousand and eight book, Capitalist Realism. I agree. Capitalist realism is like something you should uh, at least uh, have some idea of what it is. Uh, if you're following left Twitter, if you're following kind of like, um, if you have any kind of pretensions of like, you know, it, knowing what uh, left wing academics are talking about. Half yeah, the time. that's right. And like, and it just sort of seems like, you know, one of the cool things about our podcast, or one of the things, not that our podcast does much, but, but one of the things I could imagine our podcast doing well is sort of like, just sort of, you know, what the fuck is this book about? And, uh, you know, what are people talking about when they talk about capitalist realism? So, you know, partly what we're concerned with on this thing is understanding, you know, Twitter, internet, politics, discourse, and and this is certainly that. So, uh, yeah, I sort of thought, you know, GameStop might be a useful example to sort of imagine through the lens of capitalist realism. What do you think? Yeah, I guess uh, um, the first step would be to sort of what, like so GameStop being a thing everyone was talking about a couple of weeks ago uh, that happened um, in the news, 
and uh, that thing was, I don't know, am I stealing your thunder? What, what do we want to say about GameStop? I don't really want to explain it. Like, I'm going to assume there are other people that explained it better, but, but you know, basically, the thing that I want to talk about that has to do with it okay. is that, you know, what happened was a bunch of people on Reddit, you know, got together and decided to invest in, in GameStop stock because they saw that hedge funds were shorting it, which, you know, we can talk about that. There are other places to learn what that means. Nobody cares. Shorting it. But Nobody. basically all it means is like you're betting against, uh, against the stock. You're betting that the stock will go down. And there's yeah. a contrivance of ways that, you know, a bunch of assholes in, on Wall Street figured out for you to do that where you can make money. And so they were mm -hmm. doing that. And they were doing it to such a large extent that like, there was just no way they could possibly win, right? Like it was, it was over shorted or whatever. And so people on Reddit sort of noticed this and started investing in the stock and drove the price up, which then screwed all these, these hedge fund people and they lost lots of money. But the, the thing that I want to focus on to do with that is, is the reaction to it on the internet of people saying like, yeah, way to go, stick it to those Wall Street guys. Yeah, there was right? that. Yeah, right. And and that just, you know, that seems like a real opportune moment to talk about Fisher's concept of capitalist realism. Because like that just seems like, you know, this is the idea that people doing capitalism is somehow anti-capitalist or somehow anti-elite, right? Mm -hmm. Um this just sort of reeks of 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 the the thesis of this this book, capitalist realism and the concept capitalist realism, right? And so I thought it might it might make sense to sort of um, dive into that a little bit and and think about you know our impulse when we see because like it is nice, right? Like 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 I know people who go on Reddit and you know I know a couple of people who bought these stocks and they feel good, like they're sticking it to the man, you know, and like and and you know like fuck those guys totally, right? Um, and it feels good to take some money out of their pockets and so on and so forth, right? Like, it feels good when you, when you beat somebody at their own game or whatever, right? But the idea that this is somehow effective for anything other than, you know, just feeling good um, was a sentiment that I, I saw people, you know, expressing. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I thought it'd be, it'd be neat to just sort of talk about that because there's a couple things uh, in, in the Fisher book that... Yeah, might might help us make sense of that. Right. Yeah, if, uh, I'll just give my impression on that same thing as well. The thing about it being Reddit, basically, right? And then Reddit, Reddit seems to be a factor in a lot of these news stories that take the commentariat by storm, like the the sort of shock and awe of it, right? Like there was, like there's a there's there's almost a reddit element to the kind of QAnon um riots right like that those are message board culture that breaks out into the real world and then uh even going back to like the alt-right in 2016 and frog twitter and all that stuff which started on reddit and 4chan and 8chan um and and all of these kind of like cnn news anchor types who like had to learn what that was and try to explain why it's like how it's working and how it's affecting your life now um it is like a, a common denominator, I think, in, in these types of stories that you see these kind of stiff shirt people trying to explain, oh, okay, so there's, so you're saying a bunch of like 
dirty arrested development boys in a chat room have caused this how what really huh and like uh and there's something kind of odd about that 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 sort of uh it, it, it kind of throws the 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 media response or and even the, just the regular people's response into a tailspin trying to understand what's happening i think that is maybe part of uh what we can um like read into this i, I my my impression is just that what does that mean if if reddit is 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 the way it's quite obviously the way that people do coordinate with one another um and and it seems seems like obvious to say but like people don't really coordinate with each other like on the factory floor in order to form a union or uh people don't coordinate with each other like at a town hall meeting in our lifetime in our generation it's it's it is different and so we would want to look at uh chat rooms or reddit like uh, you know message boards and stuff uh and see what the limit is really for collective action there which i think is there is a pretty hard limit like you know you can do something like this gamestop thing where you know you can have everybody use an app in the same way and organize that on reddit but is that really a substitute for you know uh you know forming uh collective action in, in a more traditional political sense i think the answer is no but you know that's kind of like that's part of like the horizon of of um of you know life within capitalism that that mark fisher would talk about right that there is a kind of a limit on your ability to think outside of it and right. part of it is that we are thinking through like technologies and platforms and systems that are just built for certain things intentionally with with a, with a, a limit around it okay yeah I, I think i see what you're saying right so so yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think that that really what this book is is an attempt to describe those limits and to show us those limits, right? Like, um, you know, like this is a a theory of how theory can be effective in in the history of politics or whatever, right? It's like one thing that theory does is it describes the ways in which uh, power works and shows them to be. Um, contingent, right, and, and mutable, right, changeable, right, and I think that that's what capitalism realism is. It's, it's an attempt to demonstrate the way in which what we take to be natural, what we take to be ordinary, what we take to be commonplace, what we take to be the world is, uh, is also um, historically situated and contingent, right? That said, it's, that doesn't mean it's not powerful. Right? That doesn't mean it's not um, limiting, as you say. Right? So it's an attempt to kind of describe the situation and the ways in which our imaginations are limited, right? By virtue of, of simply living within a particular historical epoch, right? And to try to describe the limits and the uh, condition of living within that epoch. What's the uh, catchphrase? Um... It's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Right. Attributed to almost everybody. So <laughs> I think, I think uh, Fisher yeah. says that it's uh, usually thought of as Frederick Jameson and or Slavoj Žižek's phrase. Yeah. But it's just as effectively his own phrase um, yeah. because capitalist realism really is is that. Um, yeah. yeah and, and basically as seen from that that person that subject who cannot imagine beyond it right yeah. like the 
the I think the 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 um, the important no not importance the uh, the thing that strikes me about this book as something worth reading is uh, that it's uh, it, it 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 projects like the feeling of what it what it feels like to live through this era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems right. All right, cool. So I think before we even really start talking about the book, like I think it's important to just remember remember here for a second, right? Like we live in this world where, as you say, like it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism, right? And like, all you have to think about is disaster movies, right? After the fall of the Berlin Wall, after the fall of the Soviet Union, like the bad guy stops being um, an actual ideological threat. It's either terrorists, right? Who are sort of insurgent and like upset some little part, but like don't actually challenge the, the order of things. Or it's like, you know, a tidal wave or some shit or a meteor, right? Mm-hmm. Or aliens, right? And, right? and so like, those are, those are the options, right? Like either it's just capitalism forever and we're just going to have to constantly deal with the baddies who want to come and, um, you know, fuck with us in one way or another. Um, or we're going to have to deal with, with the cataclysm, right? Mm-hmm. Capitalism will lead itself or whatever, right? And those, those really do seem like the two possibilities but it's worth remembering that that's new ish Mm -hmm. right like we like you know um it so i want to just like remember for like 35 seconds the sort of like recent history of of what happened in the 19th century in uh in europe and america right the places where capitalist capitalist realism is is maybe the best description for the way that that people live right um, and so like, all I'd want to just notice is like, there's a continuous line of, of upheaval, of revolution, um, basically from the French revolution and, and whatever that is, help me out here, 17, like 80 or something like that, eight, something right? an American revolution, 1776, like that, that sort of era, right. Of like, of churning and, and reorder, right. Of killing the old gods and replacing them with new ones or whatever. Right. Um, yep. There's a basically like a continuous struggle and like armed struggle that goes from there to about May 68. Mm, And and, and, and it's, you know, it's not like it happens every day or like there's just a war raging, but like there is a militant uh, attempt at overthrowing the government in a major European power, like every 10 years. For right. like a hundred years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and like uh, some are successful, some aren't, right? Um, you know, famously, there's there's the what is it, 1848, where all the lefties get kicked out of Europe, basically. Get kicked out. Well, that's when the it was like a series of sort of uh, revolutionary uh, attempts throughout right. major European capitals and, and big cities. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, it's it's a failure. Marx runs away to England. Bakunin runs away to, or he's banished to Russia or whatever, right? Like, right. The the international forms after that, right? But anyway, um, you know, like you have this sort of group of people that are imagining a different future and actively organizing to bring it about. And when we say actively organizing, like I can say that now and and like maybe you think I mean like making a union happen at the job that I work at or 
organizing people to vote for Bernie Sanders. Like, this was like people buying guns, organizing themselves into militias, and and violently attempting to overthrow governments, right, in various ways. And so, like, like there's sort of a continuous history of this, right? And and Fisher puts the end of it uh, in the 1984 miners' strike in uh, England under Thatcher. Under Thatcher, right? And he sort of says, like, that that was really the last stand for an organized left, like a real existing socialism, as he calls it, right? Like, a, right? Because by then, at that point, like, they're not even really trying to overthrow the government. They're just trying to keep their jobs, right? And, <clears throat> and the argument is no longer like, the company's making more money, you need to give us more wages. It's like, no, like, we don't even think mining makes sense anymore, right? It's not, it's not a viable operation in this part of the world anymore because the wages are too high and so on and so forth. So like, the, the, the capitalists are just pulling out, right? And so at this point, like, the miners are just trying to like, maintain the, the wins that they've won throughout this struggle uh, that sort of come to an eventual stalemate in the, in the formation of a kind of welfare state, right? And they're just trying to sort of maintain the, the, the height of sort of social democracy in, in Europe, right? And, and, uh, and that's where they, they lose, right? Where they, they basically, yeah, basically like there just isn't mining anymore. And so all these, this, the, the practices around which this, you know, organized labor movement was built, uh, they, like, capitalists don't even have a need for them. Right? And so they, because they've, you know, found other places to do it and, and things like that. You know, well, and, and things like auto automation are coming into yeah. play and different uh, yeah, totally. obsolescences and, you know, the working, the working class, the industrial working class that, that established all of those gains that you referred to there, that built these welfare states and that, that won all those battles in the 30s, doesn't have the leverage that it used to. It's not yeah. as vital to production as, as, as is, you know, um, a small overpaid managerial uh, subset. Uh, well, I don't, I don't think he really makes that point, right? So I want to pull off the professional managerial hating that, that often goes on on the Patreon left, right? Um, sure. I'm just saying that like the like the, there's there's a, an outsized importance um, to a smaller chunk of people who are earning some kind of income, whereas it used to be a massive importance attributed to the bottom of the pyramid, the the working class of industrial production. Sure. Yeah. And it, but it, you know, I think I think the important point is like um, after that. Right. Uh, like. The, the, the fight for the future is lost, right? There, there isn't any longer, um, like the argument that has to be made for getting rid of the miners is no longer like um, two, two people fighting. So I guess this is your point, right? Like it's no longer like one class dominating the other class. It's like one class has uh, just utterly won. Right. And no longer needs to deal with, um, you know, yeah, like you said, they don't have any more leverage. Right. right. And so, um, so from sort of that moment on, as, as Fisher puts it in the book, uh, capitalism seamlessly occupies the horizons of the thinkable, right? 
we're no longer part of uh, a group that could try to, you know, posit a future in opposition to uh, power, right? We are, we are just simply left the drift within it, right? And having to make our way or something like that. Are we going to mention the subtitle of the book? Seems like an opportune moment. Go for it. Isn't it to Tina? There is no alternative? Or maybe not. Oh, just, yeah, that is. Is there no alternative? Is there? Oh, right. So he sort of reverses it. But Tina, Tina is an acronym. There is no alternative, and it comes actually from Thatcher. So she gave some kind of speech, I think, during that miner strike. Maybe not, but it, it, basically in reference to the same project of of kind of wiping out these working class solidarity movements, in which she basically said outright, "There is no alternative." In other words, she was declaring, basically, in, a, in an aggressive statement that she was no longer accommodating these kinds of struggles. It's a bit like what you said uh, about how one of these two sides, there's no longer a conflict between these two sides because there already is a clear winner. It's basically just, yeah, the uh, fuck you. <laughs> that, that That's it, right? Like, you're done. You, you have to stop now because we are no longer humoring this bullshit with, yeah. with... And they don't even need to fight anymore, right? Like, no, they don't have to pretend like, like they the will. coal miners' strikes in Appalachia in, in the 20s or whatever, where they send in the, the American military. Or when sure. the, yeah. the mining companies actually had to send in, you know, like, they bombed workers and shit, right? Like, yeah, or any kind of Pinkerton yeah, yeah. breaking up of strikes in the 30s or whatever. They don't like even that. need to do that shit anymore. No, it's over. Just yeah. walk over. It's, there's no... Exactly. Right? And so, like, so basically from that moment on... Um, you know, basically the left becomes a conservative force or organized labor becomes a kind of conservative force trying to maintain what it has won in the past, um, you know, and, and fighting the kind of inevitable offshoring of labor, automation of jobs, reduction in standards of living. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where we find ourselves now, right? But, but it is worth just remembering right, that that's a pretty new world, right, that we live in, we live in this world now, uh, but it's been since 1984, so like, you know, like basically my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even clear to everybody that that's the world, that that change has happened. I mean, you still see exactly. a lot of people who seem fairly stuck in, in the, the belief system that, that there still is a, a post-war kind of boom world uh, or, or something left of it and that that there are still some of those structures there um well i mean like there are there's nobody with guns no but i mean right? there's still there is still the sort of um I, I guess just rhetorical recourse um even though like you see your unions disappear but you still say well we have you know the right to a minimum wage yeah. uh, uh, but what is that right based on? Who's going to enforce it? If if they're really, you know, if there's ever a moment when push comes to shove, which uh, to the point we were just making that the war is kind of already won. So eventually that moment will come. They will decide, what are we doing here? Why do we have a minimum wage? Uh, at least, you know, by the logic of this argument, then, yeah, who's going to who's going to enforce that minimum wage as a right? It doesn't exist everywhere. It doesn't exist in some states or basically doesn't. So, you know, what what's there holding the line? Right. No, that's right. Um, and so, like, what's there holding the line is, are these, like, conservative unions, right? 
these these people who exist now to justify the employment of four people when the job only requires one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the all of the complaints that you have heard from your parents about unions that they make things less efficient that they you know like you see the city workers and there's three guys standing around while one guy's digging mm-hmm. uh, goddamn union right like um that's that's what unions have become they just they they exist to kind of be a entropic force against or inertic inert inertia kind of force against the sort of inevitable collapse of uh, of the sort of post-war Fordist economy. Um, so if you were a young person in 1984 um, and after, right? Like, are you are you attracted to this sort of thing, do you think? Uh, so do you mean, are you attracted to the, the argument of the union and the argument yeah, of, what, of the welfare state the union really have to offer you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Where are you going with that? What do you mean? Well, so I guess I'm, I'm going to like, okay. So yeah, that's, that's not a huge insight, right? Like organized labor is no longer the force it used to be. That probably happened sometime in the eighties. Right. Mm-hmm. So what else is there? Mm-hmm. What other what other hopes do we have for change? Right, because like I, I take it that one thing that this book is really about, and one thing that capitalist realism really describes is like the world you're met with when you are a young person and you're trying to kind of make your way. Right, you're right. kind of trying to imagine yourself as a grown person and 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 become somebody. Right. And, and basically what it's saying is like the world in which you make that decision now tells you that's something you have to do on your own. It's about, you know, um, it's, it's not about trying to change the world. It's about expressing yourself. It's not about, um, trying to improve your material conditions. It's about, uh, having some stuff. That that you know embodies your individuality and your 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 you know hipness or whatever, right? And so like that seems like the first sort of stage of 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 capitalist realism, is the kind of like, you know, basically punk, right? Versus versus a, or versus a kind of like, uh, folk, or or mass movement sort of uh, conception of mass culture, right? Is is the move towards uh, something like indie culture or, uh, you know, um, yeah, let's just call it indie culture. Does that sound good? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Would, where would, uh, is there something you would refer to in the book, um, that kind of illustrates this? Cause to me, that sounds, that sounds like the boomer ethos. Uh, and I'm trying to place where you're where you're picking pulling that out of the book because I, I got a much more Gen X and and millennial vibe out of it, which is I think we'll be able to talk about. But it, maybe you can first go into well, that. Well, I think this is like the thing that's amazing about about the book side thing is like you know he picks Cobain really as like the epitome of this, right? Right? Like like there's a way in which the boomer thing actually seemed kind of promising, right? Mm-hmm. There was a real status quo. That was being challenged by Bob Dylan, right? And like you actually see the see that happening 
when you see like Bob Dylan getting interviewed by these people who like do not understand him. Mm-hmm. They don't understand him at all, right? Like he's this weird person and, you know, like I remember you and I watching those videos when we were kids. Like it was, it was awesome, right? Like he's, he's sticking it to the man. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's just outwitting everybody. Like he's, he's just yeah, exactly. he's so much more clever and interesting. So much more clever and interesting. And like and and these people seem seem so outdated. Right? Yeah. You and see. like, you know, like and and the point is, right, like they really were like the people that were writing music reviews in 1965 or whatever were like they did not understand. Bob. Dylan. No, it was as if they were writing about. uh an alien civilization. They were that unfamiliar because, right. you know, the rock or the music industry or whatever was still nascent or still yeah. new. And yeah. these were people who probably, you know, started their careers um, reporting on uh, like, you know, the, the D-Day celebrations. Yeah. Right. But like that was hippy dippy shit. Right? Yeah. Like that was, togetherness and you know bob dylan's a bad example because he's probably like the forerunner of the individualist rock star right but yeah but like john like, Lennon or anybody you think of hippies and stuff like that was that was a very collectivist kind of lefty thing like it had its roots in pete seeger and woody guthrie and you know like many of those people sort of saw themselves as the progenitors of that but they all you know of course it all gets co-opted right but by the time you get to kurt cobain the people doing the co-opting are the very same people that have cynically sold out the hippie ideals of the 60s. Right. Right. And so, like, by the time you get to the early 90s, late 80s, right, like, the, the, the people selling you rebellion are, you know, MTV and, you know, uh, Sony, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this has already been completely commodified. Right. And so you have in, in Kurt Cobain this kind of, like, suicide. Right. Yeah. He, he can't fucking handle this. Right. Right. And so, um, so I think I think I want to say like, like there are two there are two musical movements that Fisher talks about in the book that that are sort of pop culture ones that sort of embody capitalist realism because like they're what they're selling literally is realness. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and that's punk and that's hip hop. Right. Right. And so. Like, like those things are about like, okay, yeah, you're like, they're, they're, they're explicitly anti-hippie, anti-collective movement, anti-imagining a utopian future. And they are explicitly about um, gritty reality, right? Yeah. Where, where that gritty reality is like, unchanging right like and and the answer is get what's yours right right yeah i mean like the, he 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 explores the double meaning of real i think just through a quote uh, from a shockingly like philosophical quote from like a, a music magazine in the 90s um which i'm not going to be able to recall what it is but it's like um he's basically it's basically like kind of interrogating how rappers and this is, was more true in the 90s than it is now used the word real all the time and they would say it was basically connotated two things like authenticity. So like this isn't like this isn't like utopian, like dreamy bullshit. This is like the real world. And then also like uh, I guess the kind of street 
attitude of being able to handle anything, being only out for yourself, um, chasing the dollar and like just experiencing life, uh, uh, like, uh, as a, like a combatant, like a kind of Hobbesian all against all kind of thing. So he, yeah, he's, he's saying like they glorify this content, this, this idea of real, um, in the music in two ways. And that's the, that it's a weird thing to be appealing is that like it's, it, it, it's, it's selling you on the idea that you have to be tough and it's selling you on the idea that this entertainment is actually like reflecting real life. It's not, it's not a, it's not a fantasy. I yeah. Guess. And that's somehow better. And that's like, better. Yeah. That, that imagining a different way is not cool. Right. No. That's for, that's for your parents. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, so by the time that, you know, people who were born around the time of the minor strike are, are discovering this stuff and, and becoming grown-ups, right? Um, like, for one, collective action is not cool, but, like, it's not even possible. Like, it just seems like it was always just a, a stupid dream, like, like that, that there was it, was, it was just a bunch of shitheads playing around, right? And mm-hmm. there wasn't actually, right? Like, I, I, I you know, I'm going to diverge a little bit here, but, like, we have this cultural story about the 60s that, that you know, totally misunderstands what was going on, right? Um, the story that we tell about the 60s is like, well, there's, there's two stories, right? Like, one is we beat racism or whatever, right? In America, especially, mm-hmm. right? It was the civil rights movement and, and everybody loved Dr. King and wasn't that great. And, and the other was um, the hippies were a bunch of, Overprivileged white kids that uh, did too many drugs, and then they grew up, and they went to, they became stockbrokers, and uh, and Silicon Valley, and uh, Silicon Valley people, right? and yeah. like, and those are like the two cultural stories. But like that completely covers over all of the wars of colonial struggle, right? Uh, the the utopian projects of May '68, um, all over the world, all over the global south. Right. Like they they were failures. They were lost. But we don't even talk about those things. Right. We just talk about, oh, this was a cynical kind of pleasure thing where hippies were just interested in in exploring pleasure and shit. Right. Like they weren't trying to they weren't they weren't they weren't abandoning material wealth to go live in shitty communes because they were committed to trying to imagine different ways of living. They were just rich kids wasting time. Right. When, you know, in some sense, some of them were, but others were utopian you know, experimentalists and socialist, uh, you know, true believers and, and, um, and all those things too. Mm-hmm. Right? And so like, I think that's part of capitalist realism too, is that, is that like the past gets cast as inevitably on the way towards this, because this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, that there, there are no, nothing there to be dug up and, and reexamined. Um, so, so anyway, so that's, that's my gripe about the 60s. But, um, but back to now, um, right? Like, and, and so capitalist realism claims, like, the world is made out of individuals. You are you. I am me, right? There is no society that makes us who we are. We simply are meaningful units of, of human expression or whatever, right? And so, like, you want to live a life where you get to express yourself. Right? And how do you do that? 
listen to Nirvana. You know, mm-hmm. like, don't let the man tell you who to listen to. Make your own choices, kid. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, you know, that's true, right? Like, like Nirvana was on a major label. And even the things that aren't on major labels, you buy and sell them, right? Like, it's all, it's all just some shit you buy, right? Um, but the point that Fisher makes that I think is neat, right, is that this actually undermines the notion of the self that um, capitalism is selling you, right? So the very thing that they're selling you, because they have to sell it to you, Right. Belies the fact that that under capitalism, you are not an authentic core, true self. There is nothing there to be transgressed by advertising. Right. There is nothing to brainwash because you become who you are through buying the brainwashing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he calls that pre-corporation. Right. Like you're you you come into being you become incorporated as a whole. Right. By being given the right kinds of desires, aspirations, hopes that capitalist culture wants you to have. Right. Or needs you to have in order to to perpetuate itself. Mm. Right. So the authentic self is a fiction that's produced and becomes real. Right. Simply through. The perpetuation of, of capitalist realist realism. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, at the risk of just always uh, kind of putting a label or a binary on everything, do, is, is this you're going to have to remind me if he talks about like kind of you know Fordist production and you know post Fordist production in this context, but that capitalist capitalist realism subject who is I guess pre-corporation and pre-corporated through marketing that would seem to be the person who uh you know is within the you know whole structure of everything they live within they're no longer that producer that like laborer but they are completely like uh completely defined by by consumption and by their consumer habits so it's the contrast between producer and consumer that we get from early 20th century fordist production to whatever we have afterwards is that is that a relevant kind of distinction there that adds anything <laughs> like we're we are we are who we are through what we consume is that basically what you're saying yeah so like the 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 uh what sort of the 1984 miners strike saw the last of was the producers yeah and, okay and that's good. The, the consumers yeah. are what we are after that exactly right like we don't we don't we don't get our role and our sense of self and sense of identity through any kind of collective um, incorporation based on the, our roles within uh, production, right? Rather, we, we get our sense of who we are through uh, buying and consuming. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that, you know, that, that's mirrored in, in the global north versus the global south, which is uh, how how it's been reorganized since you know the middle of the or the the last quarter of the twentieth century, is that you know the global north is the world's consumer, yeah. and the global south is 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 the manufacturing. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know. But I, I think the important part is like that that makes it capitalist realism, is that unlike the collective identity of being a person within a, a class within a 
production economy. Mm -hmm. Um, The sort of individual identity that we we get as consumers is not counter to anything, right? There's there's nothing against, we are resisting nothing. I guess that's what you mean, right? So like the indie culture that we buy as expressive of ourselves to differentiate ourselves from you know, the mainstream or whatever actually just is the mainstream. It's what everybody does. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so like we're left with no alternative, right? Like our, all of our differentiation all takes place within the horizon of consumption. Yeah. Yeah. And the and way that we've team, been, yeah. the way that we've been defined, like, uh, in that system. Yeah, so there's nothing to struggle towards, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing other than this to imagine, to work towards, to posit. Right. There's just, uh, there's just, you know, finer and finer uh, discriminations. Um, You're never going to be able to posit anything other than this. You can just sort of find your place within it and and get good at it. That's, Mm -hmm. That's the best you can hope for. Yeah. So is that true though? Like, is like, do you get better at it? <laughs> well, like the thing is like, what are you getting better at when it comes to consuming? Right. Like you're just fine. You're, you're being prefigured with the things that you're supposed to be getting better at. Right. Like, um, so th- that leads to the sort of like the discussion that he has of systems of control versus systems of, uh, discipline. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's a Deleuzean distinction, I guess that's, that's Deleuze, but but the idea there is like, you know, um, in in a capitalist realist world, we're no longer battered around by an overseer. Nobody's telling us what to do. Rather, our eventual self-realization is just permanently postponed and delayed. And we're told that we just need to take these trainings and do this fitness routine and do this and that, right? And And so like the possibility of becoming somebody is always postponed into the future, right? And the way that we're supposed to become somebody is to constantly update our skills, constantly get better at whatever it is we're doing, right? Um, and so we, you know, we sign up for night courses and we uh, take fitness things and we work on our bodies and we, uh, you know, these, these are the paths to happiness and to self-improvement, not positing a different kind of person that you might like to be and working and working together to make the world where that could happen and building a resume exactly we build resumes right and we build resumes in every area of our life whether it's like you know cooking like you know i've spent the pandemic learning how to make omelets Mm -hmm. and that's cool better at it can you make Uh, it nice and soft i'm getting better at it yeah i'm learning that i don't like certain things in my omelets and i do you know i'm making finer and finer distinctions when it comes to my omelet preparation right yeah um but i'm not doing anything about uh about my my continuously working worsening conditions and the continuously working condition worsening conditions of 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 people in the pandemic yeah i mean that's 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 that thing about that deleuze essay um you're building a resume right if your entire life is resume building then there's no point at which you're building it for something. You don't have a job in mind that you really right. want, right? You're doing it in this kind of like um, 
uh, hyper uh, anxious way of just always feeling the pressure to uh, add to 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 progress forward and and add more on onto that list of of um, achievements or uh, you know competencies. Um, but it, that doesn't mean like it's not the same thing as you know the person who aspires to start a business. Uh, and when they're, you know, in their 20s, they've hacked enough money together, they, they, put, they start this business, and then, you know, the rest of their life is, like, uh, caring for this thing that they've created. That's, a resume doesn't help you do that. And um, so, yeah, that's, the, that's this, this funny distinction between, um, you know, what, what Deleuze calls control and, you know, the other types of imaginary worlds that we, we, we think we, you know, kind of work towards yeah in our lives yeah um one of the things that's amazing i think about capitalist realism is the way in which it sells critique of the very life we're living as um a product mm -hmm. and it's it's not even like at this point it's not even like fucking um nirvana you know it's it's not even things that seem slightly dangerous uh in which the critique is being offered right uh fisher uses the example of wally -E, the pixar movie mm -hmm. right and his point there is like you know the evil corporation or the bad guy in that movie is a big giant corporation called by and large which is essentially the disney corporation <laughs> right yeah. and um and like you know uh the future that it offers is like the inevitable destruction of the planet through unfettered capitalism mm -hmm. that which we all think is bad which we all recognize is the inevitable outcome of continuously pursuing these unsustainable growth models of the economy right and and so, like, it's pictured for us in this children's movie with the cute robot that, that zooms around and, and, and stores garbage and cleans up the earth, right? And, and, you know, there's an implicit message there that, like, oh, don't worry, like, there will be cute robots that will zip around <laughs> yeah. and, and clean up the earth and then we'll terraform it. And, like, actually, you know, capitalism might sort of ruin it for a minute, but we'll automate everything and get really clean and then we'll come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Fisher's point about that, right, is that, like, this thing is is like a kind of like a a catharsis like like we can go and watch this movie perform a kind of anti-capitalist message and like we can all watch it and feel good about it and then return to our our lives right and say like well you know like somebody's thinking about this and <laughs> like it's cool like i get it right and so like and and that the sort of like being in the know and knowing of the the critique of capitalism is so mainstream that it's now in our children's movies, right? We see this in, and you know, like, I think this is kind of what Jordan Peterson gets upset about, right? Like we see this in Frozen and shit, right? Like, yeah. um, don't worry, the social issues are being solved, right? right. By the by and large corporation, right? Um, and so like, like, in other words, you see these things, you feel bad about it, you know, like, oh no, that's gonna happen. Right, but like Wally wins, and so in some sense we win, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, and and like it just seems to me like that's that's what's happening in in GameStop. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's like like you see the redditors winning, you know, doing the thing where they're uh, beating the hedge funds or whatever, but they're doing it exactly the same way that hedge funds do it to everybody else, right? And like not even necessarily winning. Like the, I think the thing that's the as I see people cheering for the most is that they're just not giving up, right? You know, is it's like this this thing of like, well, we're not going to sell. So like, they're I guess what we didn't talk about before was that like the app that they use to buy their stocks, yeah, yeah. like stopped letting like the, you know they they basically cut them off, which yeah. goes against every principle of of stock trading. You don't do that, obviously. That's not how it works. But they did it because you know this wasn't supposed to happen, and all of the redditors and like the you know the day traders who were there, uh, they they got defiant and they basically said like we're not selling this shit. You better stop rigging the game against us. I don't think there's any chance that they'll get their way, but they're not selling their stock. Right, and, and that's so they, the victor form the the anti capitalist capitalism or whatever. Right? And so yeah, like, which isn't even that like, you know, like it, yeah, as you said, I, I feel, you know, happy pat on the back to anybody who made money out of that. Good, good for you. Yeah. But like, you know, uh, first of all, you didn't break the system. There's going to be a clampdown that ensures that this never happens again. And, uh, and, and whatever, you know, whatever gains that were made out of it, a personal monetary gain, as you said, is basically capitalism against capitalism so that, you know, these, these little rewards that these, some of these people will get is just a cash bonus, but nothing will, you know, the, the, the principle that they're standing up for, we will never sell, we're going to the moon, blah, 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 is pure theatrics and, and, and um, I guess sort of just like a symbolic catharsis. Like, it's like, I'm William fucking Wallace right now. Like, it, you know, I, I, I will not be broken. I will not be bent. It's like, okay, well, whatever. So what? Like, it, on this issue, maybe you won't sell. Uh, I hope that turns out to be something that makes you some money and doesn't just like get, you know, some weird tax loophole steals it all away from you. I hope the best, but like, I don't know, you're not gonna be able to do it again and no one else is going to be able to do it later. And these apps won't exist anymore. Reddit won't be able to have forums like that eventually, you know, like they'll just regulate it so it doesn't happen. So, I mean, yeah. I think my favorite thing that I've heard anybody say, right, is like, I bought a little stock just so I could tell my grandkids that I was a part of it. You know? yeah, yeah yeah and it, like it's literally like you know this is this is how we think of collective action like it's literally a stock that you buy so yeah like like it just seems like this is this is like the perfect capitalist realist picture of resistance right where it's a cathartic you know image of of the character with whom we identify with you know standing up for us so that we don't have to mm-hmm. and in their standing up for it they're they're just cleaning up a mess or something like they're Wally putting the, or they're exposing the the mess or whatever, right? And um, they aren't positing any kind of other future, certainly. Well, and they're also like a little Delizian control subject, right? Just kind of like bleeping around, following the breadcrumbs, absolutely. Kind of yeah. just you know doing what the you know. Uh, well, they're literally and, building a portfolio, which yeah. is not much different than building a resume or whatever, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe like at best, like these guys who are who are just throwing money at it, knowing that they'll lose it, like they're burning their resume, right? And so they're like symbolically mm-hmm. 
doing something like that, right? And and that's kind of neat, but like it's uh, it's, it's not that neat. It's though. not much different than Kurt Cobain shooting himself in the face. It makes you feel <laughs> right, like like somebody's resisting, and so like you don't actually have to do any resisting, and you sort of like have a people responded to it as though it were some challenge to the status quo, as if it were uh, a challenge to Wall Street, right? Like, here are, here's the little guy getting back at the big hedge fund fucks, right? Yeah. And, and the point is, like, they're not doing anything that Kurt Cobain didn't do to the music industry. In other words, they're doing nothing, right? Like, they are like that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's okay. I was just about to say that. So we just explained. Like we just uh, we just said a bunch of things that the GameStop thing isn't, but like, is it anything or what? I think it's like Kurt Cobain shooting himself in the face or Wallace. So like a nihilistic outburst of some kind. Well, I mean, it's like it is it is capitalism absorbing its you know and making use of its its alter or it's the it's the very fact that there is no alternative to capitalism, right? So like, we're, that's the capitalist realist part of it, right? Yeah. So it's like, nobody can imagine any other order. So the only kind of resistance we can think of is just to do capitalism against capitalism, which is, is impossible. You just end up, you know, you're left with a nihilistic shooting yourself in the face, burn your resume, burn your portfolio thing, or you make a bunch of money on the stock market. Those are the two possible outcomes of the GameStop thing, right? And we look at it and go like, oh, look at this resistance to the status quo. But it's just repetition of the status quo. Yeah, so, I mean, if that's... So can we just not worry about it then? Like, can we watch the Super Bowl now? Is that the sort of... Is that the... <laughs> yes, I think that's... The outcome of, like, a, you know... Yeah. Any attention to the GameStop problem is or the GameStop story? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. The GameStop story is is interesting. The way capitalism is represented in Disney movies is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if there is something going on there that's weird and unsettling and worth analyzing, but it's not actually resistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the book, uh, you know, um, it's it's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit of a classic, and it's it's been around for a few years, and uh, I think that like you know. Uh, flare up on the internet like this shows that it's that it's still got the uh, yeah it's still totally relevant the the chops to help us like look at things yeah yeah um, so um, capitalist realism is a good read uh, and there's other stuff that I uh, I hope we get a chance to one day maybe look at some of the other stuff Mark Fisher worked on and um, you know his uh, this is like kind of uh, a collection of a like a bringing together of a lot of the threads of his work in this yeah. book. Um, down the road though I think it would be really cool to talk about his like his analysis of like emotional life under capitalism yeah I've, I think that's that's like a something that uh, not too many um, writers you know do much of he did it very specifically and it would be uh, yeah it'd be good to look at that someday yeah um, but yeah I mean we don't want to Belabor the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. this All has right. already been a little bit of a uh, down, uh, downward spiral into sadness. So let's not talk about his theories of depression or anything. All uh, right, let's uh, let's call that one a uh, let's call that one in the can.